Now, my guests this morning spent most of his early life wanting to be an artist and in pursuit of this passion, found another one along the way, working as a tour guide at the Dachau concentration camp. His first solo show in Ireland will open on Saturday at the Source Art Centre in Thurles. It's called Exploding View and he joins me now this morning to tell me about his life in Germany and his return to his native country. Good morning, Gordon Hogan. How Good are you? Good morning, Brendan. How Good are to you? see you. Good to see you. You have a great voice. We're just Thank talking you very about much. That. Good morning, really Ireland. Good Brilliant. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. <laughs> you got that in. Well, be my only chance. And <laughs> <laughs> um, before we talk about the exhibition um, and how you got there, you, you've gone a long way around, haven't you? I've gone on a bit of a long road. Yeah, you a long have. and winding one. Yeah. Um, I suppose I started studying art in Limerick back in the late 90s and then in my second year went on a student exchange like a lot of people do, got a taste of Europe and decided to just stay there. So You transferred to our college? I didn't transfer actually, I just never came home and (laughs) then um, I was... I competed to get into the Art Academy in Munich and I was uh, encouraged a lot by my professor over there, James Reineking. He was an American sculptor and he suggested that I should stay nothing against Ireland. It's just if you're going to spread your wings, do it away from home. And, you know, he he, he could just see I kind of needed that. So I got a full time place at the Art Academy and studied there for six years. In Munich? In Munich at the Academy of Fine Art. Did you speak German? I didn't speak a lick of it when I went over. How did you cope? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Now I can speak full fluent German. Wow. Yeah. So that's also a benefit, right? That's kind the of The way you do it is you stay away from the Irish bars. Uh, okay. You work in the beer gardens, you hang out with the Germans, you live a German life. And obviously studying now in art school, you're not writing essays or anything. You're basically hanging out, looking cool, talking some stuff. But um, through that, over the years, I just picked it up. So how did you support yourself financially? Um, beer gardens in the summer, that's kind of an Irish tradition that I didn't even realise when I went over. A good crack, obviously. Great crack, free food, free beer, but you're working so hard you have no time to spend money, so you just collect it up during the summer. And the academy system in Germany, where I studied anyway, in Munich, was um, very casual. So I would go to my professor and say, listen, I'm stuck for the rent, I got a job in a factory somewhere, packing boxes, whatever. So I'd go and work somewhere for six weeks, pay the rent for the whole winter, come back. So that's the way it was. And then bit by bit, um, as I started to learn German and get better, I could get better jobs. OK, so was there something, was it just the, the exchange student that, you know, mm-hmm. when I was a teenager, I'd go wherever they'd put me. You just yeah, wanted to well, go Well, I away. chose Munich. Why did you, I yeah, want, why? Well, oh, this all, oh, this it, it, it was a lady. It was a girl. Oh, okay. <laughs> Had a summer flirt here down in Tip in, in Templemore, where I'm from. Um, <laughs> decided we'd seen each other once or twice. I'd gone over to see her and then I saw that Munich and Limerick had a bit of a, a combination going on, student exchange, the art school in Limerick. So I applied and I said, yeah, I'll go over to Munich for three months. But three months turned into 23 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. really? Yeah. Okay. So how did Dachau come about? How did you well, it's always been an interest of mine for as long as I can remember. I've, for some strange reason that I'm still trying to answer, I've been very um, attracted to that subject, the human rights element. Right. It's always been a very strong thing for me. And to be honest, in my own experience growing up, I just kind of, not the historical side of it, but I just kind of felt like I need to know this stuff, I need to understand it, and I felt a certain kinship with it. Wow. I just felt a very deep kinship with it. So... Being in Munich all the time and Dachau is literally just up the road. It's like a 20 minute spin and Dachau is a gorgeous old town. And you start to realise that I'm bringing a lot of my version of this history to the site. So I just got more and more into it. And then after college, I seriously didn't really want to go into a full art career. I still thought I was a bit too young. Like, who's going to listen to a 
you know, 25, 26-year-olds, really. So I said, right, I'm, I'm going to... That's take, a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, Sorry it. for your No, no, you're right. No, no, but, um, <laughs> anyway, for me, you always have to say it for me. Yeah, of course. Um, I really wanted to delve into it. So I actually realized that a lot of companies were looking for native English speakers. They would make the link to the site. You would go out, do a course at the site with the staff. So I did a, a three-month course at the memorial site. To become a guide, you pass tests, you do exams, you have all this, a reading list and everything. So oh, once so you I do that... you just rock up... No, up, no, no thank quite. God, no, because it could get out of control. It's a very misunderstood site. So you need to have some kind of, someone there with an actual professional qualification to do these tours because it's you're coming up sensitive. against all kinds of opinions, impressions, passions, and you're kind of trying to put them together. Wow. Through three or four hours each day and you could have someone from one side of the world, someone from the other. And you might have a group of 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. So you really need to know what you're doing. And wow. it was a very... Um, Ultimate diplomat. Yeah, but that that doesn't happen on day one. You really have to learn it. You learn sometimes the hard way, but most of the time it's an amazing experience. It's just so... It's a beautiful site because what makes Dachau so unique and so special is that it's the survivors themselves that set up that site with that intention. That young guys like myself back then who have a passion can actually earn their bread and butter through, okay. you know, telling their story. And that was, you know, once you get into that side of it, it becomes a, you know for want of a better description, or maybe it is a good one. It's an honourable job. It's beautiful. It's really intense, but really important. Remind listeners of some of the stats about Dachau, where, when it was built. Uh, yeah, Dachau was built in 1933. So that's just after Hitler gets into power. And it's just outside Munich. So was Munich, it the first? It was the first camp, yeah. It was the first camp, but not only the first, it became kind of the... Yeah, the kind of school of the SS. Most of the guys that went on to run all the major industrial sites in Eastern Europe, they all, you know, learned their trade. It's as simple as that. It sounds cruel, but that's that's really what it was like. They learned their trade in Dachau. So, for example, the guy who ran Auschwitz, uh, Rudolf Hoss was his name. Uh, he was commander in Dachau for a few years, did different managerial positions there, and then got promoted to run Auschwitz. So he's the guy who would have been behind the most famous extermination camp that we're all aware of, but it was all interconnected. So Dachau was kind of like the the root of it, and it was all connected to Dachau. So Dachau was actually the first camp to be open, and it was one of the last to be liberated also, because it's in southern Germany, the last places to be occupied by the Allies as they swept in through Germany at the end of World War II. So it really shows you a full cross-section of the whole 12 years of the Third Reich. That, that really shocked me, 1933 mm-hmm. and liberate in 1945. That's 12, 12 years. years. I mean, yeah. that... And depending on what year you look at in Dachau, the statistics are different. Like, people who would have been deemed as antisocial, for example, they had a definition that was kind of coined in Dachau, the Pink Triangle for homosexuals, and people from other parts of the so-called Reich. Is that Empire, where the Pink Triangle comes from? That's where it comes from. It's a Dachau thing. Wow. So all these symbols come from Dachau. That's where they kind of worked out the code. You know, how do we do this? How do we divide up groups? What do we do? Because in 1933, it's mainly political people, people of democratic Germans, people from, you know, mainly left-wing political groups, central conservative groups. They were all interned in Dachau. Dachau was where they stamp out resistance. But then it became a place... <clears throat> to stamp out many different forms of resistance and to make an example and to instill fear in Germans. And that was all an internal German thing until 1938. Wow. So everyone in there up until 38 was German. Okay. All of the inmates. So it's, you know, it's a great place to tell the full story. Wow. Wow. I mean, it must have had it taken its toll working there. Even yeah. just listening to those conversations yeah. unnerving. Oh, yeah. But... 
I'd say the same for people and obviously it's not anything like the honourable job that people who work in in the health system do. I but know you need mean. to be a certain personality to do it. I think. Yeah. You know? Now, I couldn't work in a hospital. <laughs> I wouldn't be able for it. I just wouldn't be able for it. But uh, working in that kind of site, as I said earlier, I felt just a certain kinship. And then when you meet survivors, oh, uh, wow. it just gives you so much energy. Would that, you know? uh, would that just happen randomly? You'd be there It would happen randomly. You know, you could in. be queuing up for the coffee machine and you look behind you and there's one of the guys, hey, how are you? You know, weather's a bit, you know, <laughs> just normal chatting. Wow. But then they also, some of the survivors who would be quite active in Dachau, and a lot of these guys, you have to remember, lost their families here. They lost their loved ones here. This defined their lives. So in a strange way, and, and, and I think we can all understand this, the only place they really feel alive is at the memorial site. This is where their story is understood. It's not misunderstood. They can tell their story. They can tell a joke. They can bring light back into the darkness. And there's one or two survivors that I met there where... As more international guests and tourists start to come to the site, which has become hugely popular over the last 10 or 15 years, they start to, uh, the staff and the administration start to provide, you know, access that we might to get to meet survivors, spend an afternoon and do a little kind of Q&A and hang out together. So that's where you really get to hear these stories in a very intimate, intimate setting. And when you were told these things and you basically realise I'm taking the baton from them, I'm passing it on. So did you feel a responsibility? You know, yeah. Absolutely. What's that feel like? Um, you know, we all have our Monday morning blues. We all have to get out of bed and go. But with five minutes into the site, you're up on the stage again. You're talking, yeah, you're and passionate. I, I, I truly loved it. But after 12 years, take what I learned. It was time. Move on. Yeah. You know, let the new generation come in. Did you yeah. know it was time to move on? I did, yeah. How did you know that? I just felt it. Mm. Also, the site was changing. It was becoming a different thing. I think you'd need the energy of starting off to deal with how it's changed massively over the last... You what know. did your family make of you working in Dachau? My mother is just... Uh, my mom. she passed away two years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, very quick illness and uh, she was only sick four weeks. So it was just right as my, myself and my wife were moving back. Oh. But uh, no, but she was wonderful. She came over to Munich every summer for years. She came on my tours and it was just hilarious because... She'd come uh, on your tours? Oh, she did. Amazing. She's like four foot nothing, you know little Protestant gal from Leash and she's there um, just smiling throughout the whole tour because it's her little lad doing the tour and she was she'd tell everyone tell the whole town you know it was just brilliant and if she heard us today sure she'd be delighted oh she'd be absolutely hopping oh so she was proud you were doing that work unbelievably proud she was so proud of it which is the best oh that's wonderful oh she thought it was amazing and we'd sit down together and talk about these things would you oh yeah 100% because my mom came from a Protestant background my dad came from a Catholic background. She They're both from like small farms in the middle of the countryside. You know, we grew up. They were like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, in, essentially. But, you know, it's hard to describe, but they left school early. You know, my dad was a builder. We grew up in a housing estate in Templemore. But I kind of, I think that's what I meant as well, that I had empathy for something in that story because religious division, you know, these kind of discriminations, what we think about other people, what they think about us, all this kind of nonsense. And back in the 80s, when you were a young lad going into primary school, it's very Catholic dominated and we had the troubles in the north and, you know, I sound like a pretty serious, you know, no, I, no, you, I, was, I know exactly what you in mean. some way, but Everybody I kind of was watching it to it and yeah. my mother would make fun of those things because my parents weren't necessarily religious. Oh, so she'd make light of it to make she it easier. She would, she'd go, go up there and go to your confession box there and that kind <laughs> of, cra- you know, and I didn't realise that Protestants don't do these things and Catholics do other things, so I didn't really know. So I used to kind of sneak along to, she'd go to Harvest Thanksgiving Fest once a year, it was the only time she went to church. Because she's got five kids to raise, so 
I and have to ask, did she, she, did, were you all baptised and, ca- and communioned yeah. and everything? Oh, yeah. She raised that you was, as Catholics. That was the law of the land back then. Yeah, of course. We were all born in the 70s, pretty much. Two of us were born in the early 80s. But that was, you wouldn't have gone any other way. You know, when we were, you know, grew up in a housing estate. So, you know, we're Catholics. That's it. <laughs> Which is fine, you know. And so that division, that it's like, I suppose, childhood trauma of that awareness. Yeah. You could, you could tap yeah. into mm-hmm. a very extreme version of that. A very extreme version of that. And also I grew up with a, here we go with the personal stuff, and grew up with a quite heavy speech impediment. And it wasn't nice back in the 80s. I was bullied, but not by my friends, like great friends, absolutely fantastic friends. Still the same friends today, actually. <laughs> my, even though I lived away for 25 years, I still have, Amazing. still got my crew at home. Um, you describe your time in, in being a tour guide in mm-hmm. Dachau as a beautiful experience. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. I said it to some of my guests when I was leaving when I was doing my last tour. I said, this is, this is the top of the hill for me. Did you? You know, it's, I felt like, wow. But I wanted to leave it happy as well. And, you know, shed a tear the last day, say goodbye to all the staff that you'd know in I there. I mean, 12 like, years is a beginning. 12 years is a lot. Like, yeah. uh, look, this is probably a dark bit of humour, but one of the survivors that I know quite well and we would have seen a lot of each other, we were queuing for coffee one day and he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, Gordon, You've been in the camp longer than I was. <laughs> but that's the kind of humour that these guys yeah, that's funny. internally would have of course, shared. Yeah, yeah. And 12 years as a guide in the site is an intense kind of thing, you know. But after 12 years, it was time to come, come home to Ireland, actually. And, and the, it, the site was a camp for just under 13 years, 12 years. Yeah, about 12 years. was Yeah, almost. Your yeah. life is full of circles, isn't it? It is. Really something in me that follows patterns or likes patterns and and so you studied seriously studied art for six years in Munich yeah I studied for nearly two years down in Limerick and then I did six years yeah and so Munich. you brought it back brought it all back and brought all the Dachau experience back too and it's it's all you know most artists would say anyway you know we 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 collect things and then we just put them into our work not directly but just emotionally uh, instinctively so my work for example that I'm showing this Saturday at the source Art Centre in Turles, it's not directly about Dachau or directly about anything. <laughs> it's my art. It's my process. And for this exhibition, I've been, actually for the first time really, I've been working full-time for about over a year now as an artist, thanks to the uh, Basic Income Grant. Great. Yeah, no, it's I was lucky enough to I'm be so happy for you. the hat for that. Like well done. 2,000 people got it. So happy for you. And I hope that what I'm doing is definitely not wasting the money. No. I'm putting it into an exhibition. I built my own studio at home in a big barn. And I have a strong feeling that the success of this program, That's such an artist thing to say. I oh, hope yeah. I'm not wasting the money. They're not. It's wonderful. No, it's <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I think what this is going to prove, and I think Ireland is, is massively ahead of other countries when it comes to this. We are a country of creativity. That's what we do. And it's fantastic to see that the government have realised that, especially during the pandemic, we learned so much. So I'm hoping that what I'm doing and what other people who are receiving this grant are doing is proven that everyone who's an artist can get this. Tell me how your experience in Dachau has, would influence your work. I have to ask that because... It would influence my work. I think central to my work, you know, I'm an artist, so lots of people would write about my work or someone else might comment on it. So I like to be blind in one eye about my own work to a certain extent. You don't want to be too conscious of it. You're not going to learn it and there's going to be no process, no journey, no pathway. But I think one thing that does really influence me and what I loved about the site in Dachau is the change of function of a facility. How something that was designed for debt is now used to promote life. You know, that idea has always been very, very strong for me. You know, so don't knock down the buildings. Just 
let's just, you know. So I think that is a big part of it. You know, and religion comes into my work quite a lot. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In what way? As an observer. I'm not particularly a religious person. Actually, I'm not a religious person at all. But I do think that... um, we're not it's not that we're missing something but we all have this longing it doesn't matter where in the world you're from or what background you come from we all wonder what's out there like what are we doing what's what's this all about where am I going to go when it's over like oh my god you know so I think that mortality is a huge part of my work it's very much embedded in it every day in Dachau there must have been a sense of mortality yeah absolutely in like the you're walls. literally walking past mass graves yeah. all the time but as a guide you kind of have to get used to it but the guests, do you ever get used to it? You do and you don't. You're aware. You're aware, but you have to be professional and have some kind of um, distance from it too. Otherwise, it's like you have to remember that the guests that are on your tour are probably only going to be there once in their life. So you have to hold it together, you know, for them. And do people get very upset on the they tour? They do, yeah. yeah. But I like to pride myself that at the end of my tour, people added something to their lives and they went out with a sense of energy. Okay, yeah. You know, and it's thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to bring what I learned here today. So tell me what people can expect from your solo exhibition this weekend. My solo exhibition this weekend is my first solo show and it's actually my first time exhibiting in Ireland. So I'm showing a whole a whole collection of new works. There's a very, very large installation which I haven't exposed to the world yet. Everyone oh, has to exciting. see that Saturday, so turn up Saturday at the source in Turles. It's a large church <laughs> that's been kind of manipulated. And then I'm doing uh, video works, uh, a number of sculpture reliefs and uh, photographic uh, installation work as well. So it's a whole collection of new works and it's a very large space and it's it's all just for me. And it's, it's happening this Saturday. This Saturday and it goes on until the end of January. Wonderful. And it's the Source Art Centre. And it's Trust. a free exhibition. It's a free exhibition. Um, and, it's and I'll be there Saturday having an old chat about it. Brilliant. So, so o'clock in the website's gordonhogan.com and me. at Gordon Hogan Art. That's and it. it's internal and temporary and... Uh, yeah. Please go along and see it and let us know do. Uh, what you think. <laughs> uh, uh, wonderful to meet you. Thank you so Absolutely much. Absolutely my you, Gordon. pleasure and honour. Thank you. Let's take Delighted. a break.